How we doing, everybody? Welcome back. Thursday Night Live with myself and everybody, Ephraim Goldberg. We're going to ask all the incredible questions that you guys have. Um, so get ready. Get ready. It's such an honor. I know we're like 30 seconds early, but you guys know what it is. Coming early. Okay. Let's get started. Let's jump right in. Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. Nachi. What's going What's on? What's doing? It's all good. Baruch How are you? Shem. We're doing we're doing okay, Bark Shem, you know. Holding up, holding up. It's all like good seeing... over here. How about how was the how what's going on in the south? South is good. I like seeing you in a sweater. I'm sitting outside. I got the palm trees behind me. I walked out of an event to do our little uh live. Wouldn't miss it. Oh wow. So... I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. No, so I appreciate the... the opportunity. Thank you so much. We're going to make the most of the time uh, that we have here. For those who are joining for the first time, um, I will just be shooting these really difficult questions to Rabbi Goldberg, and he's going to be giving them the best answer as possible. He usually has a disclaimer that he doesn't have the answer to everything, and he give it, but guess what? He really does. So that's, what, that's the cool part about this. Um, so we're going we're gonna to jump right in. And of course, for everyone who's watching, if you have a question, you could drop it in the Q&A box below. Or you could, you could request to join the live and we'll just take a risk and add you to it because we're, we're just very risky like that. Rabbi Goldberg, are you ready for the first question? Bring it on. Okay, bring it on. Kids and devices, when is the appropriate time to give a kid his own cell phone? That's a good question. First of all, I want to clarify something. You were kind enough, you and your team, you clipped from our last Q&A a question about sneers and modesty, and uh, you posted it, and it got a lot of traction, and I'm grateful. Got a lot of wonderful feedback, a lot of nice feedback. Also got some critical feedback. So I want to offer one clarification on that question before we pick up the new one tonight, and that is when I responded, I, to me it was obvious and clear, and I hope it is to all who listen, that halacha is not negotiable. Halacha is not a suggestion. Halacha is not a set of options. Halacha is a given. It's Hashem's prescription for us. It's the formula for living. It's a blueprint for creation. The question was, how much should we emphasize? How do we teach? What messages do we emphasize? That's what I was asking. So when it comes to the laws of Tznius, though it's not all or nothing, and not everyone's at a place or at a level or has the background or education to be doing everything that the halacha asks, so we don't judge people, and we're not suggesting that it's an all or nothing, but it is a given that the halacha uh, dictates halacha is the authority, and we were talking much more broadly in terms of what we emphasize and how we communicate. But to the question about devices, it's a very personal question, a very subjective question. There are families who are determined that their children should never have any smart devices, shouldn't have access to technology, and neither you nor I would say that there's an obligation or a responsibility or that they have to get it. When your son turns 13, you got to get him to fill him, and your children deserve the right to a Jewish education, and there are certain things that are a given for our children, no child is entitled to technology when they want it. So the first answer is that if you're trying to keep them off of it and to maintain a certain level of innocence or purity or naivete, then it's a beautiful thing. If you can do it, that's great. Um, if you don't live in such a world, such a community, your children's peers, their friends are getting the technology, I think that a person needs to be careful to know 
when they can be responsible digital citizens. Kids, you wouldn't give the kids the, the keys to the car before they know how to drive. You're not gonna let the kids operate or come up with a medical diagnosis or procedure. You're not gonna let a child who's not old enough, sophisticated enough, mature enough, responsible enough, disciplined enough to be in control of something that is potentially enormously dangerous. You're not gonna give uh, substances, you're not gonna give uh, narcotics, controlled drugs to a child to hold, to take as they want. Technology is access to a world that can be spiritually lethally dangerous. So the first question to ask is, are they responsible? And in what way will they use it? Are there filters and are there boundaries and are there limits? Are there time limits? Are there place limits? Are they allowed to be in their room with the door closed with the technology or only in public places? Are there parental controls on the technology? So I think it's really a subjective question for parents and their particular children for what's happening among their peers and in their community. I don't think there's one set answer to say at this age or in this grade. In my personal family, we don't buy a child their cell phone until they start high school. They don't have technology until that age. That's when we believe they can begin to have it with some controls and earning some responsibility. Um, but I think that it's not a question of when, it's a question of how and what level of responsibility parents take to ensure the children are gonna use it in an appropriate and, and sincere way. It's not a, a question that, that there's one easy answer for everyone. Okay, well, we have somebody who wants to join us uh, to go ahead and ask a question. So we're gonna, the first time on one of these Q and A's, we're gonna go ahead and add uh, Murray, Murray Batesh to come at, go ahead and, and ask a question. Murray, how are you? How you doing, Rabbi? How you doing? It's, um, it's phenomenal and a big honor to be able to share a screen with you guys. Thank you, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course. Okay, so, uh, well, the rabbi's buffering. You there, rabbi? I'm here, I'm here. I think he's buffering. Okay, good. Uh, so my topic is a little bit of a controversial topic, um, but something that we're going to all agree upon. Uh, unity. You know, unity. Right now in America, there's a lot of uh, racism, anti-Semitism, and Jew hatred. And how do we get Jews all across the country you know, no matter what you are, Litvish, you're Hasidic, you're Sephardic, you're Syrian, you're this, you're that, it doesn't matter. How do we get Jews across America to start uniting, um, and, you know, and bring unity? Murray, it's a great question. It's great to see you. Thanks for being here. Great um, to see you. You'll tell me if I'm buffering again or if I'm okay. But, no, you're great. Um, I, I think the answer to that question begins that... Wait, I just want to say one the thing Jewish before you start. People... When, when we had the Aguna movement yeah. uh, uh, six months ago, it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what you belong to, what you look like, what you dress like. Everybody got together and we all unified and got together to, to start helping um, these Agunas. So how do we do that for Judaism as a whole? Why does it always have to be a victim where somebody's uh, struggling or suffering for, for Jews to unite and get together to, to make a difference? It's, it's a great question, and I'll even expand it, not just the Aguna crisis that I know you were fighting and we were fighting and we all need to continue to fight. Um, again, very clear, the woman's not always innocent and the man is not always the perpetrator. Sometimes the man is the innocent victim, and uh, it's not always clear-cut. Every situation is different. Nahi, right? we got to give disclaimers now for everything that we say before, I, before our inbox fills up with all the... Uh, with all yeah, the I, I, I'm dated with lawsuits, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. But it's so okay. Murray, so to your question, it's not just the Aguna movement, right? Nobody cared what denomination the Jews of Pittsburgh who were attacked or the Jews of Poway were attacked 
or the Hasidim in Munsi when Ashur and Hanukkah were attacked. Nobody looked at what yarmulke they wore, didn't wear on their head. We saw the headline that Jews were attacked for being Jews, and every one of us opened our tehillim, we opened up our hearts, and we felt united, we cared. So what was it? What drove that sense of connection was that in that moment, we weren't focused on differences, we were focused on our similarity. And you know what our similarity is? We're family. And here's how I think we need to think about the whole Jewish people. We need to think about the Jewish people as brothers and sisters, as family. When it comes to family, you don't have to love your family. You don't have to, sorry, you don't have to like your family, but you have to love your family. You don't have to love your siblings, you don't have to love your cousins, but you have to, sorry, you don't have to like them, you have to love them. Meaning you don't have to want to be with them, you don't have to agree with everything about them, you don't have to approve of every aspect of their lifestyle or everything that they think. You don't have to like them, but you have to love them. Love, hold on, is not an adjective. Love is a verb. Love is loyalty. When we are family, nobody in that moment, when a family member needs you, when a family member's in crisis or distress, or even when a family member's having a simcha and you show up, you're not focused on where they sent the kids to school or who they voted for in the presidential election or even what policies they focused on or they lived with corona. In that moment that your family calls you, either in distress or crisis, or to attend their simcha, and it's a family member that say, you don't like, but you have to love them. And I think that has to be our attitude to the whole Jewish people. There are people we don't like, people we don't like. We don't like to be around, we don't like to spend time with, we don't like who they are, we don't like their lifestyle, we don't like their decisions. We don't have to like them, but we have to love them. Love is not an adjective, love is a decision, it is a verb. And I think when we start to see, when we start to see the Jewish people are not outsiders, and the Jewish people are not outside of us, they're not strangers, you know, Revolba writes the word achzar, achzar is cruelty. And the root of the word, the etymology of the word achzar is achzar. Achzar, zar is a stranger, they're just a stranger. They're just a stranger. That Jew who I'm attacking, that Jew I'm calling a name, the Jew I'm marginalizing, the Jew I'm dismissing, the Jew I'm hating upon, they're, the Jew I'm practicing achzarius because they're an achzar, they're just a stranger to me. But the moment I realize they're not a stranger to me, that's my family member, that's my cousin, that's my brother, that's my sister. It doesn't mean I'm gonna like them all of a sudden, but I have to love them. So if we feel that responsibility, even the ones that we don't like, to nevertheless love, then we'll be able to unite, we'll be able to be together. Rabbi Lau, hold on one last thing, and I'm gonna let you talk. This is a rabbi, you know, you can't, you can't speak in uh, sound bites. So Rabbi Lau, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau, Shlita, the great Holocaust survivor, the former chief rabbi of Israel, he said once in Poland on March of the Living, he said, the Jewish people, we've learned how to die together, it's time for us to learn how to live together. We've learned how to die together on the way to the gas chambers and facing anti-Semitism rising in America and elsewhere. We've learned how to be attacked. We've learned how to be targeted. We've learned how to die together. It's time that we learn how to live together. Honor, respect. I think it's another, it's not only love, it's honoring and respect and, and co coexisting. Coexisting. I mean, it's very loyalty. important. Loyalty. loyalty. It's loyalty. Siblings don't have to like each other, but they got to be loyal to one another and they've got to love one another. Absolutely. Right. Rabbi, you're unbelievable. Guys, Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for answering our question, my question. And this is so amazing that you guys do this every week. Um, I'm glued to the screen. And if you need me for anything, I'm here. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank Mark. So much. Thanks for all Thank you Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a good one. Okay. We have another request, I believe. Um... Actually, it's not there anymore. So whoever requested, if you want to request again, you can. But in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and ask another question. Okay, I see a request, but I want to get this question in, and then we'll add that person. This week, big story was how a young lady in Brooklyn discovered that the man that she was married to was a Muslim, you know, possibly trying to penetrate the Jewish community. Um, he was, you know, allegedly he, he became 
Jewish in Texas and, and whoever wants to read about the story, there's, there's no shortage of, of material that you can read about it. Does there need to be a few, a few parts to this? Does there need to be more of a vetting process when it comes to converting to Judaism? It's, it's known that this couple had met online on a Jewish dating website. Um, is that something that we say, hey, meeting on Jewish dating websites is not safe? It's, it's just too, too crazy. Two-part question. I would love to hear what, what you have to say, Rabbi Goldberg. Sure. So, you know, it, it, there are many parts to it. It's a terrible story. And it's a, it was a potentially terribly dangerous story for the Jewish people. The individual had nefarious plans and they were penetrating the community, pretending to be an observant Jew. And they had some plans. So among the many things that daily we should be grateful to God for is that, that it was discovered and it was averted before anything terrible that happened. You know, halacha has a lot to say about this, like everything else. When someone shows up to the Jewish community and says, I'm Jewish, do we take them at their word? Halachically, do they have a name on us? Do we trust them? Should we simply accept them? Or do they need to be vetted, as you said? Do we need some process or some system? So halacha has something to say about this. I think most organized shuls in the membership application, you know, talk about is there conversion in the family? What do we know about your background? Some even have a, a reference. Is there someone to call who knows you, where you moved from, your family? How do we know who you are before you join our community? And, and you know, at worst, be a member of Hamas and threaten us like this insane story that happened. Or even a little less than that, but simply... Uh, meet our families and our children integrate and maybe uh, be exposed or, or our children um, be drawn to something that we don't even know about. So there's a question within shul membership. The conversion process with legitimate, credible bate din, the, the rabbinical courts that do conversion, they do vet. There's a significant process. There are sponsoring rabbis who will uh, testify uh, on behalf of people. We know them. We look into their background. We meet with them and we gain a certain level of comfort and trustworthiness with them. But I think one of the areas where maybe this could have been averted, and I don't know the details, I'm not speaking specifically of the situation, but is in marriage. People call rabbis and they say, will you marry us? We just moved or we don't have a rabbi and we need you to marry us. So some rabbis are either complimented or simply want to do a nice thing for others. And they say, sure, let's schedule the wedding. And they're concerned about you know, the smorg and the, and the florist and who you have having for music. But one of the important things to do is to confirm the Jewishness of the people that you're going to marry. And there are a lot of very easy ways to do that even within the halachic system. So if you don't recognize and you don't know anyone who knows them. So if someone says, yeah, I know Nachi Gordon, so now his kid is going, wants to get married. Rabbi, would you marry them? Well, I know Nachi, I know his family, I know his background. Um, no question. We don't need any further evidence than that. But let's say it's someone you never met, they're a total stranger. You could get a copy of the parent's ksuba. You can get other forms of evidence. You could get a testimony. You speak to somebody who knew the parents or grandparents were part of an observant community and the like. So I'll tell you just this week, Two days ago, I did a wedding for a couple I didn't know. Somebody said they were an acquaintance of theirs. And this was a couple who had just moved, didn't know people. Their own parents couldn't be at the wedding because they were stuck in another country due to corona, couldn't come in. They were desperate to halakhali get married so they could begin to build a family and begin their, begin their married life together. So I um, did two things. Number one, the person who referred them, I said, do you know them? Do you know him? Do you know her? Can I rely on that? Is it trustworthy? I also, every couple that I officiated at the wedding, they fill out forms. I want to know their background. I want to know the Hebrew name for the spelling of the Ksuba. I want to know if this conversion of the family, any documentation to support it. And I make them sign it. I make them sign and attest that what they put in that document is accurate and true. So they did that in this case. And the combination of um, the person I knew, the mutual acquaintance saying, I know them and I think it's good. However, that day of the wedding, because I had just seen that story, you know, a little, add a little levity before we signed those, uh, 
How's that, that work? Add a, add a little levity. Oh, that's a good friend in here. Look at that. I got a little phone holder by a friend. Where does that go? Squeeze that in. I'm mad that fits. But anyway, add a little levity right before we uh, began. I said, I said, before we walk down the aisle, you're not a member of Hamas, are you? So anyway, my new friend with a good sense of humor said, not Hamas, Fatah. But anyway, thank God. It was not. It was a beautiful wedding and it was all good. But yeah, it's a scary story and it should be a wake-up call. I think schools, schools, when children apply, they've moved from another community. We don't know the family. Just give us a reference. You moved from another community. Who knows you? Who we can make a phone call or send a text who confirms great family, no questions about their background. Absolutely. It's crazy that we even need to think about things like that. But you know what? Between this story and there are quite a few stories that happen with missionaries getting into communities, it's something that, you know, I think the advice that you get, you gave is very helpful. We have somebody who requested to come on. So we're going to go ahead and actually, I don't see the request anymore. So um, I'm going to give it a minute. Whoever had just requested, let me see. Because I'd love to give that person. Okay, let's get them on. Hang on. Okay, we are bringing on, where is she? Hello, how are you? Hello, hold on one second. Why is, is it working? Yes, we hear you Hi. loud and clear. Hi, Rabbi. How are you? Good, Baruch Hashem. I literally am sitting here with like notebooks full of questions that I just keep adding to. But I had really two questions, but we'll see if, I don't know, you know, if someone else requests to come on. Um, I always grew up with this like mantra that, you know, in like my chinuch that, you know, Hashem never gives you a test that you can't pass. Hashem never gives you a test that you can't pass. So the very nature of the fact that you're being tested with X, Y, Z, whatever it is, means that you inherently can pass it. But is it even, is it possible for Hashem to give you a test that like, you can't, but Hashem can do whatever he wants. Like, he can bend Teva if you hit XYZ level of Ishtadlos. Like, can you make it make sense? Sure. I'll do the best I can. It's a great question. Um, thank you for coming on. So, I hate to burst your bubble and the bubble of everybody because we were all raised with that. And it, in many ways, it's very empowering that God doesn't give us tests we can't pass. So, if you're going through a hard time, you're going through a challenge, and you feel like you're about to, uh, you're about to collapse... You're about to implode. Know that God wouldn't give you this test if you couldn't pass it. Find the strength, find the resilience, find the tenacity. You got this. And there's a lot of truth to that, and it's very empowering. However, it's important to intellectual honesty to know that it's not entirely true. Um, I'm happy to send you offline, or you could look for it, Google it. Dr. Sorotskin, the great rabbi Dr. Sorotskin, with phenomenal articles, has a whole article on this subject, and he brings countless sources in Torah that it's not true. God does give us tests that we can't pass. And he doesn't hold us accountable when we fail. Now, that can't become an excuse. It's a very slippery slope. We'll say, I had to look at that, or I had to go there, or I had to try that, or I had to behave that way. It was a test that I just couldn't pass. And therefore, I'm excused for it. It's not my fault. It's a very, very dangerous truth to know, but in its own way, it's empowering. I feel because- like it's either like this toxic positivity of like, well, you can, you can, you can just push through until you fall apart. Or it's like, well, I... Like, do we get to decide if it's something that we couldn't pass? Like, who makes that cheshben? So I, I actually, I spoke this year on Rosh Hashanah, and the topic of my drusha was, it's okay not to be okay. And I talked about, you know, the story of creation of man, and uh, a story about truth being thrown to the ground, and a beautiful insight of the Kutzker and others, that when, when God created man, it was a two-on-two, it was truth and justice. I don't have time for the entire medrash, but MS argued, don't create man. Man's filled with lies. Don't create man. 
And God took MS and threw him to the ground. And the question was, why do you throw MS to the ground? He could have thrown Shalom to the ground. Peace argued and said, man is filled with katata. Man just argues, there's tension. Mari was just on here asking, how come we can't all get along? Why can't we learn to love one another? So why did he choose MS? If the two on the side that said, don't create man, throw Shalom, throw peace to the ground, let MS live. So I saw a magnificent answer. An MS, a truth that says, don't create man. Man's imperfect, man's fallible. Man's gonna sometimes not be okay. Man's gonna struggle. Man's gonna make mistakes. Such an MS needs to go to the ground. You know why? Because that MS, that MS only exists in the heavens. That MS only exists in the sky. From the perspective of perfection, up in Shamayim, you can expect people to be perfect. But come try to live down here on earth a little bit. And down here on earth, there's anxiety and tension. There's temptation and distraction. Down here on earth, it's a really difficult and complicated place to live. So God took MS and he threw it to the ground. And he said, from the perspective of living on the ground, from the perspective of living in reality, realize that the MS is, it's okay not to be okay. The MS is, sometimes we'll fall short. Here's the real question. The question is not, does God give us tests that we can't handle? The question is, what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we fail? Do we get stuck? You know, Lot's wife turned around and she turned into a pillar of salt. Oh, the right, you don't know what the right answer is. It's not, it's not always my choice. No, I understand that. But what, what's the difference whether God gives us tests we can handle or not? That doesn't change what we need to do in the circumstance. In any given moment, we need to be the best version of ourselves we could be. The most honest, the most genuine, the most observant, the most righteous, the most virtuous, the most sensitive, the most kind, the most truthful, have the greatest integrity. In any given moment, in any given dilemma, with whatever given challenge that we're confronting, we need to be the best person that we can be. And if we come up short, the answer is not to get stuck or paralyzed or debilitated. Lot's wife turned around, she became a pillar of salt because salt, salt is something that makes you, it keeps you, it's a preservative. She was preserved, she got stuck because she turned around. Don't turn around. You know, his farm had become very um, popular now. Shlomo Hoffman, they started to put it out in English. You could get his magnificence farm. But in the English version of Shlomo Hoffman, who was a Talmud of Rav Isaac Sher, who was a therapist himself, they're fantastic insights. He says, the end of Ashrei, Hashem, you know how we praise you? When we live, from now, when we live going forward. Don't turn around. Don't perseverate on the mistake you made. Don't get stuck on where you came up short. So you promised and you pledged you weren't going to look at that stuff on the internet. And you had a great streak going, 90 days, 120 days, six months. And then you, you gave in. You looked at something. You promised you weren't going to lose your cool with your children. And then you raised your voice, you got angry. You promised you weren't going to speak Lashonar. You promised you weren't going to miss a minion. Whatever the promise was, and you came up short. So do you give it up? Do you say, yeah, you know, I can't do it. Clearly, it's not for me. Do you beat yourself up and you say, I'm inadequate, I'm inferior, I'm a nothing, I might as well live that way? That's Lot's wife. That's salt. That's turning around. You got to live today and forever. Don't turn around. Don't get stuck in the past. It's not about the past. It's about today and tomorrow and starting again. But if it's today to the future, forever and evermore, like, when do we ever get look back and be like, okay, like, you're not a total Russia. Like, you've, 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 you've passed certain things or you've overcome certain things or, like, where's that, where's that balance of, like, actually, like, tackle looking back and giving yourself credit for, I don't know, like, it just, that when I hear something like that, I get panicked. Why, do you, why does that make you scared? It should do the opposite. It's empowering. Like all I'm doing is seeing where I messed up and then just like stressed out that like forever and ever for the rest of my life, forever and ever, amen. Like I have to make sure to like 
do better and do more. And it almost, I feel like it almost invalidates if I'm never looking back at things that I did right. What's your name? Itzy. Hi, Burger. Itzy. Nice to meet you. So let me tell you, first of all, celebrate your successes. You had a good day. You did the right thing. You confronted a temptation. You made the right choice. You had a victory. Celebrate. Pause and celebrate. We don't pat ourselves enough on the back and we don't stop to celebrate right. the successes. When I hear that, I, it like scares me. Why? So one Celebrating second, success scares, scares you? No, I mean, when I hear like, don't look back ever, like it's now and forward. No, no, no. We look back to learn from the past. Every year we have a Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we have an Elul. Every year we have an Aser Simei It's built into our calendar to stop and to take stock. Look back and evaluate. What can I learn from? What can I go from? How can I be better? Don't look back to beat ourselves up. Don't look back to be guilty. Don't look back to be brought down or to get stuck. Look back to learn and to grow. Listen, it's in marriage, it's in parenting. As a parent, I don't know where you're at in life. I'm a parent. Believe it or not, I'm a grandparent. I still don't believe it. But I, I, you're a mother. You should have a lot of nachas and a lot of simcha in your life. So you know what? Your children, your children, whatever in life, they're not going to always make the right choices. Our children are going to misbehave and disappoint us. But we're not going to beat them up. We want them to learn from the mistake and be better tomorrow. If our child says, I can't get out of bed because I can't stop thinking about the mistake I made. I can't live for tomorrow and I'm not going to be better because how can I forgive myself for yesterday? As a parent, we would hold that child and kiss that child and tell that child, you're so much better than that. Your best is yet to come. Do you know who you are and who you could be? We'd say, yes, you made a mistake. Let's learn from it. Where did you go wrong? So we have to do that for ourselves because Hashem is a parent in heaven. He's our tati. And he says, let me hold you and let me touch your back and let me kiss your cheek and let me tell you, yeah, you made a mistake. And you know what? You're grounded. I'm taking away your phone if you're the age to get a phone, Nachi. I'm taking away your phone. And yeah, you're grounded because you know what? You made a mistake. I have to hold you accountable. But you know what? I've had to punish my children. And you know what I do the night that I punish them? All their friends are going out. They can't go out. You know what I do? I lie there and I hold them and I cry with them and we do something fun and I say, I love you, so I had to hold you accountable. But while I hold you accountable, I'm going to sh shower with your affection and love and hold you and tell you tomorrow is going to be better. You made a mistake, so you had to be held accountable. Let's learn from it. Why did it happen? Who were you with? Or what did you give into? Or what temptation did you not overcome? Where did the mistake come from? Let's learn from it. And then tomorrow is a new day and a better day. So don't perseverate and don't get stuck. Learn from the past, but don't get stuck in the past. Too many people, they're stuck in yesterday. They're forfeiting today and they have no hope for tomorrow. So we have to forgive ourselves. Sometimes we're so easy to forgive others and we struggle a lot more to forgive ourselves. Right. Is, do we have time for one more question or does anyone else want one? Nachi's uh, in charge. We, we do have one more person, but you could, you could definitely go for one more question. Okay. Thank you so much. Is that okay, Rabbi? Sure. All right, thank you. Okay, so I have another question. I just... Random thoughts in the notebook. Get the, get the, hold on one second. I just want to say for everyone who's watching that we do this uh, twice, twice a month, Thursday nights. You could join and, and ask your questions and we'd love to have you all join. Go ahead. Clearly the questions can be random. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. So you know how, you know the phrase, like there's no atheists in a foxhole, right? And sure. like, you know, you think that, well, whatever, right? So we know that phrase. So to me, if, if, if when things are going good, you know, I like conveniently forget about where it's coming from, but then I'm in like my, like, you know, foxhole and like my lowest point and it's like, and then, and that's what I turn to Hashem. Like, it's not Lishma. Like, it's cause I need him. It's very so selfish. Let me ask you. 
opinion. So like, why is that okay? So Gitti, it's, it's, it's more than okay. The, the key is that you don't also forget to talk to him when you're out of the foxhole. You know, the, the, the brachas of today- But it doesn't, and, and, and like dilute that. Does, does, does the intent matter? When you know when you when you like choose to get closer to Hashem or to or to like kind of quote unquote remember him or reach out to him or whatever like does 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 the intent matter Hashem doesn't care what the cheshbon is. I'll ask you again. Get to your mother. When your child, the child who you've been craving their attention, the child who you're trying to get them to give you the time of day. Oh, I don't know. Well, hold on. The, the child who every day they come home from school. Every day they come home from school and you say, how was school today? And you're lucky if you get a grunt. They never fill you in. They never tell you anything. And now they run into a problem. And now they come to you for help. So as a parent, you say, nah, you don't talk to me when I talk to you. So now that you need my help, go find someone else. You never say that. You say, Tatala, come here. What can I do? How can I help you? I love you. I'm so happy you're here now. Now tomorrow you'll say, remember yesterday when you needed me and I was there for you? Well, today, even though you don't need me, talk to me anyway, because I crave this relationship. So the answer is when you're down and out and you're in that foxhole, of course Hashem wants you to talk to him. He, maybe that's why he put you in that foxhole because he wants you to reach out. He wants you to finally have that conversation. There's nothing disingenuous and there's nothing counterfeit about it. That is the most authentic and the deepest type of prayer. So yeah, when you're down and out, when you're in that foxhole, absolutely talk to him. But here's the key. When you come out of it, when you climb out of it, don't forget to thank him. We have a tendency to talk to God when we need things and we forget to thank him when we get the things that we needed. The blessings that you have yet today are God saying yes to the prayers of yesterday. The brachas in our life today are Hashem saying yes to yesterday. So yesterday you say, you know, tomorrow I've got a big speech, tomorrow I've got a big meeting, tomorrow I've got a big appointment, tomorrow I've got a big negotiation, I've got a big, Hashem, please help me. I've got a big doctor's appointment, Hashem, please help me. And then he says yes, and we get the good news we wanted, or we make the deal that we wanted, or the stock goes up, or we did well on the test, or we win the soccer game. And you know what we do? We're so busy asking already for the next day that we forget to stop and say thank you for yesterday. So there's absolutely nothing wrong. There's in fact nothing more authentic than talking to Hashem when you're in that foxhole. The key is don't forget to thank Him when you get out. Is it considered more, like is the ultimate goal to like reach out to Hashem for Hashem and not when you, like not Badafka when you need Him or it really make a difference? As a, as a parent, you want your children to reach out to you all the time and in every circumstance. Keep coming back to that. Because we have this image of the Hashem in the sky and right. he wants to strike us with lightning and knock us down and take us out. And he wants to kill us and hold us accountable and strict justice. And I'm not advocating the Hashem who anything goes, be whoever you want. Hashem loves you. He just wants you to be happy. I'm not saying that. I'm, yeah. saying, I'm saying that like a parent, he has expectations. Like a parent, there are demands. Like a parent, we have responsibilities, but he loves us. He loves us. And so he has open arms to us. And he wants us to speak to him for no reason at all. And he wants us to speak to him when everything's going well. And he wants us to speak to him when we want to say thank you. But he also wants us to speak to him. And if the only reason, you know, I, I don't remember if I shared this in one of our Q&As, but someone had come to me who had gotten a lot of trouble and they had a big trial. They, they were coming before the judge and a big appeal. And um, a person struggling with addiction and they had crossed certain lines and had certain legal issues. And this, this judge was either going to put him away or give him a fresh start in life. And he met with me with tears in his eyes and he said, I want to turn to Hashem to Davin for his help. But do you know how long it's been since I spoke to him? I wrote God off a long time ago and I have to come before the judge tomorrow and I need God's help. I don't know, how can I, in good conscience, come before God when I haven't spoken to him in so long? I said to him, are you out of your mind? If I had a child, God forbid, who didn't speak to me, we were alienated for weeks or months or years. 
And then they were in trouble and they came to me and they started out and they said, Abba, I haven't spoken to you in so long and I want to work that out. But for now, I need you. Can I come to you? Can I talk to you? I'd say with open, absolutely. What can I do? I'm so happy you're here now. I love you. And that's the way Hashem feels about us. So this image of Hashem has to change because it's, it's injecting such a negative energy to that relationship. So it's not feel good, be whoever you want, do whatever you want. He has expectations. There are demands. There's a system of halacha. There's moral responsibility. But with all that, he's our father and he loves us and he wants us. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Githy. Githy, thank you so much. If you read the comments, people are, are very happy with the questions you I asked. I was busy listening. No, I wasn't paying attention <laughs> to the comments. Emirates and Shem will have you back in different weeks uh, to ask more questions. Really All right, now we've got time for one more. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and have one more person join. Uh, again, those who are on, this happens twice a month, so make sure to follow Meaningful Minute, follow Raya from Goldberg, and we hope to be answering all of everybody's questions to the best of our ability. Now we're adding Shlomo. So let's see what we got over here. Nothing yet. One second. Um, for some reason, it doesn't seem to be going. I'm so sorry, Shlomo. Shlomo was waiting the whole time. I don't know who Shlomo is. Um, Let's tell Shlomo to come back. Two weeks from tonight, he'll be the first one. Okay, we could definitely go ahead and do that. Shlomo, uh, I think he says he's here, but I don't see him. Do you see anybody? I don't see him. Okay. Anyways, Rabbi Goldberg, thank you so much. That was really insightful. Um, this will be posted here on our Instagram on our page. People can watch it back. I know it'll also be on YouTube uh, by Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. Um, really, we covered a lot of questions tonight, a lot of important topics. So thank you so much. And we hope to see you very soon again in a couple of weeks. Nachi, thanks for all you do. Thanks for having me. I love this. The highlight of my week. So have a great Shabbos, everyone. You too. You too, Rabbi Goldberg. All the best.